0: Will you bow with me and let's pray as we turn our attention to God's word. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth that is found in it. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit oversaw every letter that has been written, that has been translated, that has been preserved and passed down for generations upon generations. Thank you, Lord, that we have your words. Lord, we pray that you might use your word this morning to grow us, to mature us in our faith. Convict us, Lord, where we deserve convicting. Challenge us where we deserve to be challenged. Lord, motivate us to live for you. Encourage those of us who are discouraged. Comfort those of us who are hurting and need healing. Lord, we pray that you would accomplish all of this, Spirit, by moving through the reading, the teaching, the proclamation of your holy word. Father, in spite of a foolish and frail servant, would you speak to us this morning through your word? We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to you, God, our Father in heaven. Amen. Amen. I invite you to take with your Bible this morning and turn with me. To Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7. If you did not bring a copy of God's Word with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew there in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, feel free to take one of those as our gift to you. We would love for you to take a Bible and have a Bible at home, whether you're accessing digitally or in print. Whether you want to follow along on the screens, however you might be accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's Holy Word. We're going to look together this morning at Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. I'll read for us when I've completed the reading. I'll say this is the Word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond if you are grateful with the words, thanks be to God. Let's look together now. Luke 7, beginning in verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment now when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would have known who what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner and jesus answering said to him simon i have something to say to you and he said say it teacher a certain money lender had two debtors One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet Then those who were at table with him began to say something among themselves. Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We have been walking through a sermon series looking at individual one-on-one encounters in Scripture. We looked at some events that took place in the life of Paul. We've looked at one-on-one encounters that Jesus has had with different individuals as we have been focusing and strategizing and emphasizing this evangelistic emphasis of who's your one. Our encouragement is that everyone within the sound of my voice right now will pick one, that they will ask God, that we will ask God, who is the one person in my life who I can reach who is not close to you, Lord, who's not trusting in you. We've had resources that have been on the offertory table, there's still some in the foyer of how to pray. For those individuals along the way, we've heard from different folks. We heard from Lamar Whitaker. We've heard from the Kilcrease family. We heard from the Moore family this morning. Each of these testimonies testifying how God is still at work doing miracles among us every single day. How people are praying and asking God to move, and regular everyday events turn into miraculous testimonies of God's glory. I hope and I pray that these testimonies shared by Lamar and the Kilcreases and Ben and Neva this morning are inspiring you that if these, your brothers and sisters, can stand before all of you and share how God's been at work in their life, maybe it can give us the courage to share with our one how God's been at work in our lives. That's why there have been testimonies. There will be more testimonies. And yes, I am aware of what time it is, but we're going to spend some time now looking at Jesus and this anonymous woman that comes and kisses his feet. He goes first to this banquet. We see in verse 36, one of the Pharisees named Simon invites him to eat at this lavish banquet style meal. And he goes in and as we've talked about before tables at that time, the most common table was about 18 inches high. So it only sat about 18 inches, a a foot and a half off the ground. And so the common way to eat at a time like this would not be to sit in a chair because very few people had chairs. That was a luxury. Not everyone could afford. So they would have pillows. And cushions around that low table and everyone would lie down and prop up probably on their left hand and use their right hand to pick the food and eat. They would lay where their feet were stretched out behind them away from the table. This made all sorts of sense hygienically because they walk on dirty streets that they share with animals. So all of the yuck that is on their feet and the mud that is caked on their feet, some of that is not necessarily mud. So we want to keep those feet as far from the the table as we can. And it was very common in this day. Regular, expected hospitality that when a guest showed up at your house, much like we would shake hands, or I guess now that COVID has been a part of our life, fist bump, somebody that walks into our house and welcome them. Just a simple greeting of, I am so glad that you are here in my house. They would offer in Jesus' time, in the first century, a kiss. There was nothing sensual about this whatsoever. It was a simple greeting, cheek to cheek, of men or women regardless. They greeted each other who came into their home. After you greeted this person, you would offer them water to wash their hands and you would offer them water to wash their feet. Maybe you were of wealth and had a servant dedicated to help wash their feet. But somehow or another, you allowed them to cleanse their feet, cleanse their hands. You often offered them oil. And, and don't think of this as like the regular olive oil that you would clean with or that you would cook with. This is oil that's probably been fashioned into some sort of lotion or something of that nature. Oil was used for everything. If you guys remember the the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the dad in My Big Fat Greek Wedding was a Windex fanatic. You remember this? He said, every problem in life can be solved by spraying Windex on it. you got a boil on your face, spray some Windex on it. Your stomach feels bad, spray some Windex on your stomach. Everything that's wrong, spray some Windex on it, you'll be okay. That was the approach with oil in the first century. Oil can fix anything. You put it on a wound and bind the wound up. If you've been walking out in the sun and maybe your head's blistered, you put oil on your head to soothe the sunburn that you may have. It was a common hospitable thing to offer for anyone coming into your house. So we can gather from what Jesus says to Simon, the Pharisee, that Simon's not very friendly towards Jesus because even though he's offered for Jesus to come and eat in his home, he's done none of the standard, regularly expected hospitable things that you would do for any other guest So he is not in favor of Jesus or Jesus' ministry, but he has asked Jesus to come to his home. Another key aspect of a banquet or a meal like this is that you would not close your door. I know today that seems extremely foreign. Most of our front doors stay closed and locked tight. When people knock on the door, we go, what is wrong with that person? They are outside on our porch. Who is it? We get afraid. In the first century, you left the door open, especially when it was a meeting among rabbis and teachers. Because the riffraff, as they would describe them, can come into the banquet, but they better know their place. You stand over against the wall and listen in so that maybe you can learn something and you can better yourself or change your life circumstance. Or maybe you can become righteous and holy because you've listened to these rabbis discuss So the door is open. You can stand outside the door. You can step right inside, but you must stay against the wall. Well, Jesus is there. He's eating with Simon the Pharisee. And this woman enters in and the conversation stops. People are listening to Jesus and Simon's probably peppering him questions. And this woman, everybody's eyes get laser focused on that woman. So it's almost as if we're here in in the midst of a service, right? I'm up here preaching and somebody steps up and walks down front and stands on this table. At that point, nobody's looking at me anymore. (laughs) Nobody's dealing with their kids. Nobody. There is all eyes fixed on whoever has stood up, broken the norms and is now standing on the offertory table in the midst of our sanctuary. All eyes are locked on that person. That's this woman. We don't know who she is. We don't know what her sin is. A lot of people assume that this is Mary. You know, the same Mary, even though there's four or five Marys that we run into in the New Testament. The same Mary who was Martha's sister. Who was Lazarus's sister. The Mary from Bethany. And that's probably not who this is. You see, there's a story in every gospel about a woman who goes to Jesus and anoints him with expensive perfume. There's an account of it that happens in John chapter 12, here in Luke chapter 7, in Mark chapter 14, and in Matthew chapter 26. I want to submit to us this morning that those are probably not four independent stories, but they're not all four. The same story either. Matthew and Mark and John are talking about one event that happens at the end of Jesus's ministry and Mary anoints Jesus with oil. She breaks her alabaster jar and anoints Jesus with her oil and all the disciples respond in immediate disgust. Uh, how dare she do this to Jesus This is a private meal among Jesus and his closest disciples and followers. Many point to this meal because, specifically, Judas Iscariot is infuriated by this waste of money. Many of them point to this exact moment at the end of Jesus' ministry that Matthew, Mark, and John described to us as the moment when Judas finally had the final straw break. And he said, that's it. I can't be a part of this guy anymore he decides to betray Jesus. But if you notice, that's not what's taking place here in Luke seven in Luke seven, this is towards the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And if anyone is trying to give us an orderly chronological step-by-step breakdown of Jesus's ministry, it's Luke because that's what he says in Luke chapter one, In Luke chapter one, verses one through four, he talks about how he has set out Luke is the one who sets out to make sure that things are orderly. We look to Matthew and Mark and especially John to potentially arrange stories from Jesus' life thematically or to make a theological point. But Luke has placed this story in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. In all three of those other stories, you find a man named Simon the leper. And this is Simon the Pharisee in Luke chapter 7. You may be thinking... Simon the leper, Simon the Pharisee, potato, potato, what's the big deal, Pastor? Let me just assure you that if a person was a leper, they were not an active Pharisee. You could not have been Simon the Pharisee and Simon the leper simultaneously. So I feel very confident in the fact that this is a separate story. That there are multiple women who come to Jesus and break expensive jars of perfume to anoint his body. This particular woman, Luke, doesn't tell us her name on purpose. There's many other details we could dive into, but this is not Mary. This woman, we don't know her name on purpose. We don't know her sin on purpose. I believe with all my heart that the reason that we don't know her name and that we don't know her sin is because there's only two characters in this narrative that we can relate with. If you read this story in Luke chapter seven and you relate to Jesus, I've got to tell you, we've got some problems. Okay, when you read the Bible and you see Jesus healing people and coming back from the dead and you go, oh, that's so me. I know that that's me. That's my character in life. I am Jesus. I relate so well with this guy. Um, you may have some psychological issues we need to discuss privately, okay? So Jesus is not really an option of who we relate to in this story. That leaves Simon, the Pharisee, and this woman without a name. I believe that Luke leaves this woman nameless and doesn't name her sin so that you and I can put ourselves in her shoes. More than likely, this woman was probably a woman of the night. She's probably spent most of her evenings turning tricks. She probably lived in the red light district. We know that mainly because of the way that she wore her perfume. She wore her perfume so that she would smell nice and be attractive to men. That may or may not be her sin. You may be sitting there this morning, and when you hear me say that Luke wants us to relate to this woman, immediately you recoil in your spirit. Come on now, preacher. You you think that Luke wants me to relate to a prostitute. That's what you think. That's what you think of me. That's what I think of me. If you don't relate to the prostitute, there's only one other person to relate to and it's Simon the Pharisee. This woman comes in. She comes off the wall. She breaks every norm. And she's willing to kiss Jesus' dirty, nasty feet. We know because Jesus said He wasn't given water to cleanse His feet. She's kissing feet that have not been washed. She's broken over her sin, so she cries and her tears cover His feet. And she uses her hair to soak up the grunge and the dirt and the muck of His feet in her hair. Just the fact that she let her hair down would have been considered extremely flirtatious. But this woman has no flirting in mind. She's focused solely on Jesus. She's focused solely on the Savior. She takes the most expensive and valuable thing, the thing that probably represents her livelihood, that represents what she does for a living and who she is, she now breaks because that's no longer who she is. She pours that out over Jesus' feet to anoint Him, to say, I recognize That you are the Messiah. And how does Jesus respond to her ultimately? Look at verse 50. If you ever want to hear Jesus say that we are saved by our faith, look at verse 50 of Luke chapter 7. He said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Even a woman such as this, who broke all the societal norms, even a woman who was of a terrible reputation, even a woman who'd done awful things. She comes to Jesus. Jesus forgives her sins, accepts her and says that your faith, just like anybody else's faith, has saved you. Anyone who comes to Jesus in faith, Jesus accepts and says, your faith has saved you. It takes faith. In Jesus to be saved. But it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your sin is. doesn't matter what your status in life is. But Simon the Pharisee can't get past that. He can't move beyond that. Look at what Jesus says to him in verse 44. If I were Simon in that moment, and I've been Simon many a times, Jesus has to ask him the most insulting question He looks at Simon and then turns towards the woman. He's talking to Simon, but he's looking at the woman. He says, Simon, do you see this woman? Duh. (laughs) She's right here. Everybody's looking at her. Of course I see her, Jesus. That's not what Jesus means. Simon, do you even see this woman? Woman, do you see this person or do you see a prostitute? Do you see this person or do you see her sin? Do you see this person or do you see somebody who is low and undeserving in society? Simon, do you see this woman? Folks, i got to tell you, I've I've been guilty of being Simon a lot of times in my life. Sitting up on my high and mighty horse, looking down at somebody else. Thinking, praise God, I'm not a sinner like them. How many times has that been you? Even as we pray about, God, lead me to my one. Lord, lead me to one that I might share the gospel with. But, you know, make it somebody that's like, you know, like would be acceptable, you know? Like, I want to I want to reach out to somebody, but like, Lord, I, maybe not a drug addict, okay? Because that's just going to bring a lot of drama in my life. I, I don't know if I can handle that kind of drama right now. I, I mean, Lord, send me one. I want to share the gospel with one. But, you know, not somebody that's like in the category of a terrible sinner. Because, I mean, then people are going to think really poorly of me. All it took was this lady letting her hair down before everybody thought, oh, she's flirting with Jesus and Jesus is letting her. That's their first thought. Judgment is immediate. And if you're sitting there thinking, "Ah, I've never been like Simon, I would never be like Simon. Let me tell you all it would take. All it would take is we say amen after today's service. As we're leaving, a lady who's scantily clad comes and lays her head on Jason's shoulder or my shoulder to pray. Pretend like Jason and I would be able to make it to our cars before our phones literally exploded from the text messages and pictures. From the Facebook post, did you see Pastor Jason? Did you see Pastor Nathan and that girl that was all over him? I cannot believe that they would. Something broke my heart this week. Somebody came to the church and said, hey, I've been reaching out to this person and this person. I just don't know that they'd fit in at Bethany because of their past, because of their history. Are there other churches in the county that could faithfully minister to people who are in that kind of echelon of society? Are there other churches in the county that might be accepting of somebody with a really tattered past, somebody who's still really rough around the edges and still working really hard to smooth out those edges, but boy, they don't look like churchy people? That question was asked this week in those offices from somebody with a genuine heart. Folks, how often are we Simon? How often does the Lord put one on our heart? But if we're serious, God needs to follow up with us and say, do you even see them? Let somebody come into this church wearing tattered clothes for a month. All right now, it's been a month. They ought to know that we dress better than that here at Bethany. Let somebody come in and let a few words slip. Now, we don't use that kind of language here at Bethany. And you're going to have to learn. You're going to have to get better at that. I'm not saying that we go easy on sin. This woman gave up her sin. She gave up her lifestyle. She broke the perfume and poured it on Jesus' feet. But Jesus didn't care who she was. He didn't care what her sin was. Luke doesn't list her sin so that we don't get caught up And how terrible of a person she was. We can focus on the fact that her faith saved her. Folks, as we've been walking through Who's Your One? There's nobody that was too gross for God's grace. And I think sometimes in my life, and maybe sometimes in your life, I forget how gross my sin is. And when I am in a place of judging the woman coming to anoint Jesus, and I am in the place of Simon, I have forgotten that in this story, Simon is just as sinful as the woman who anoints Jesus' feet. And when you and I are in the place of judgment, when you and I don't find our sin grotesque, And convicting when we don't think that we still need grace, we have moved into a place of sin that is just as deep and just as ugly as every cussing drug addict sailor person on the planet. And when God says reach All people from all ethnicities and all nations. He's talking about every socioeconomic status. He's talking about the druggies. He's talking about the prostitutes. He's talking about the business people. He's talking about white-collar crime criminals, blue-collar criminals. He's talking about the gospel is available to everyone. And there is nothing that is too gross for Jesus not to save someone. And when we think that there is, we forgot how gross my sin is and how gross your sin is. Don't forget that but for God's grace, I would be this woman. But for God's grace, I'd have needles in my arm. But for God's grace, I'd be Simon and judging every person by how they look and how much money they make. But there's no room for that at the feet of Jesus. Because at the feet of Jesus, you find people weeping and anointing His feet. Giving up their lifestyle of sin and saying, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to Him I freely give. How many of us sing that and mean that? How many of us sit back in that judgment seat and say, I like this Who's Your One campaign, Pastor. I'm a really big fan of it. I think we ought to reach out to people, you know, as long as we're reaching out to the right kind of people. Folks, we may not say that out loud, but when that thought crosses our mind, we need to do some good repenting. Some repentant that looks a lot more like this woman who anointed Jesus' feet than Simon. As I read this passage, I just want to insert our name in verse 44. He faced the woman and he said to Bethany Baptist Church, Do you even see this woman? This morning, church, put your name there. Do you even see those who are hurting and desperate for God's grace? Do I even see those who we've put in another category but are desperate for God's grace? Do we do what it takes to love them and draw them unto salvation by any means necessary? Do we welcome them into our fellowship like we welcome those who are from a good life? Who grew up in church, who don't have bad language and don't do bad sins? Do we really see people who need Jesus? Or do we look right past them the way that Simon looked right past this woman? The last thing I want to leave us with this morning, Jesus loved them both. There's hope, there's salvation, there's redemption for Simon the Pharisee and for the woman who has all sorts of sins we don't know about because Jesus let the woman do that to his feet, but he also was willing to go to Simon's house to eat. He would eat with the Pharisees. He would eat with the tax collectors. He would eat with the sinners. There isn't anybody that's in a category that is too gross For God's grace. So whether you're Simon this morning or whether you're this woman, God's grace is sufficient for my sins. And God's grace is sufficient for your sins. Would you break your jar? Give up your former life and trust in Jesus. If you will place your faith in Jesus, your faith will save you. The same way that this woman's faith saved her. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are willing to save any and all of us. Lord, you are so good. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, that I don't deserve your mercy, your salvation, the redemption that you offer. I know that I am a sinner and I am Simon so often, Lord. God, thank you that there's still grace and forgiveness for even sinners like me. Lord, thank you that there's grace and forgiveness available for every sinner sitting here with me today. Lord, would you remind us That the gospel is available for whosoever will. Lord, would you help us to welcome people with open arms. To show them the love and the hospitality that you have shown us. Regardless of who they are, what color their skin is, where they come from, or what their sin might be. Lord, for anyone this morning who's never trusted in you and placed faith in your death and your burial and your resurrection... Lord, would you draw them unto faith this morning, that their faith may save them. Lord, we ask that you would move during this time and help us to respond. We ask all this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit.